When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Hoop Stats Unplugged podcast, live again on Twitter. Uh, we're joined today with a special guest, Madeline Kenny from the Chicago Sun-Times, the Skybeat reporter, and then also myself, Megan Gower, and Aaron Barzilay from Hoop Stats. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Madeline. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Doing well. Thanks for having me. Very well. It's good to be here. Good to uh, distance socialize with the two of you today. It's been a little while since we've had a live stream, so really appreciate you having on, having, uh, coming on with us now. Yeah, I appreciate the invite. I'm excited. So I was saying, like, what have you been up to? You're in Chicago. Do you live in, like, Chicago proper and, like, a high-rise or something? Or are you kind of trapped? I live, yeah, I live in Chicago in a studio apartment. Um, and then, but when all of this stuff was happening, I decided to come home to my parents in Nebraska, like a lot of other millennials, because I didn't want to be alone in a studio apartment and not able to leave. I feel like I would have gone even more stir-crazy than I've gone. But yeah, so I'm def- I'm back in Nebraska right now. And is that like wide open spaces? Or are you in like suburban Omaha or what the kind of, what sort of a situation is it? Yeah, I'm at like a lake that's near Fremont, Nebraska. It's like 30 minutes out of Omaha and an hour out of Lincoln. So it's been pretty nice. Like if you're going to be quarantined, being at the lake is the ideal place. So. And that's where you grew up. It's uh, like, that this, you know, you got your bedroom from when you were a kid in there. Uh, no, I grew up in Lincoln, but we always came out to the cabin like in the summer, like this was like the summer home. And then over the, like the last year or so, my parents are starting to like move out here full time. So we have a few like projects going on around the house. They figure this is a good time to renovate. So <laughs> my brothers are like putting in floors and my dad and I did like a tile backsplash and stuff. So it's been good. Excellent. And is it the middle of nowhere? Like, is it a long walk to your neighbor's house, a long drive to the grocery store? No, it's kind of like a little like lake community, I guess you would say. Um, I think there's like 300 or some houses out here. Um, And so, yeah. And like, you know, a lot of people out here and a lot of people like you've seen, you've known like their kids and now we're all like 25. So it's kind of cool to see like, you know, whatever, what everyone's up to now. 
which is fun. <laughs> but yeah, glad to hear you're not trapped in the city. I have a lot of friends that are yeah, in New York, I, and it sounds I would have gone crazy. I already know. <laughs> I crazy. Crazier than I already, like, am. Yep. So. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Makes sense. How are you uh, passing the time? I mean, are you... Have you picked up any new hobbies? Are you like working hard? Is it kind of oddly quiet because you're not in Chicago? Uh, no, I feel like my workload has stayed steady. They moved me on to like audience team, which is like our digital team that does a lot with like social media and pulling wire stories and stuff like that. And I'm doing that along with also doing some sports stuff. So it's been pretty busy for me from a work standpoint. And then from like a personal standpoint, I'm trying to pick up some hobbies. Like I've been painting. I've uh, done some of those like paint by numbers things. It seems like I can never complete them, but I'm really good at starting them. So <laughs> what are you guys? Are you guys doing anything different? Um, well, I registered for a marathon on like a whim two weeks ago. So I guess I'm training for a marathon. <laughs> I don't know if you can see this, but this is like the rock and roll. I did a half uh, marathon. I haven't done it full yet, but someday, which, maybe someday. <laughs> which marathon did you uh, register for, Megan? The Disney one in January. So. Oh, okay. Fun. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good one. I heard it's really fun. Yeah, I'm excited. So, guess I'm going well, to training. I'm on are you going to dress up like a Disney princess? I don't know that I'll do like the full princess thing, but I'll definitely do like something themed. I'm running with like mm-hmm. two friends, so we'll probably do some kind of like themed thing together. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Yeah. That is cool. What's the longest you've ever, so I'm sorry, Madeline, the longest you've ever run in your life is what, then 13 miles or? Uh, probably like 13.1, a few, a little bit of walking in that range, but yeah, I would say that. Uh, how about you, Megan? Uh, probably similar, but not since like high school. So it's going to be Very nice. My wife, uh, yeah, I've been trying to exercise a lot, uh, too, but, uh, my wife and I back when in our youth before we had kids, uh, we actually were going to do the, um, the marathon in DC, the Marine Corps marathon. And so we we're like training, you know, we got up, I think we got up to like 17 miles or something. You know, we were running okay. along the Potomac. It was, you know, it was awesome. We lived in Alexandria, so there were great trails. But then it turned out that uh, she got like shin splints or something at like seven, you know, once we got up to the 17 mile training mark. And it was kind of like, you know, it's her dream. I felt like I probably could have kept training and done it, but I think she would have been very, uh, frustrated if I had gone mm-hmm. ahead and run it, even though it was her idea. So mm-hmm. we uh, definitely passed on that. So yeah, no, I have the not so fun experience of uh, e-learning with my kids. I have a seventh grader and a third grader. So <laughs> uh, my seventh grader is pretty self-sufficient, but the third grader needs a little uh, support, let's just say. So See, it's funny because in my house, it seems like the seven, the sixth grader is pretty self-sufficient and then the sophomore in high school needs the, <laughs> the motivation uh, like just turn it in but luckily school is out in nebraska now so now it's just summer oh yeah that's right here in new jersey where i live um it is uh like schools i think the last day of school might be june 18th or something it's crazy super late <laughs> yeah 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 so uh so cool so yeah so uh you know that was a couple questions i had for you just about what's uh kind of going on in your life it sounds like you're able to kind of distance socialize presumably it's good weather in nebraska getting out on the lake yeah now it is we've had a lot of rain the last few days so the river is definitely really high right now but <laughs> That could make it exciting. That could make it exciting. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we wanted to have you on, right? You were talking about your work uh, because uh, some of the articles you've been writing. I was particularly interested just kind of in your take on where we are as far as WNBA uh, scenarios, you know, what you think is really going to happen, how you, you know, I think none of us know, but, which we can talk about. But, like, you know, what do you, how do you think it's going to play out? 
Yeah, I mean, like you said, none of us really have like a for sure answer to this. We do know that it's going to be played without fans, regardless of where they decide to host this season. I think the what makes most sense is to have a hub city or a, one neutral site where all the teams can be housed and they can all play and be quarantined kind of together. Um, I know Las Vegas has been thrown around for the WNBA. Las Vegas is also being thrown around for the NHL. Um, so it'd be really interesting to see like how that might change if another professional league is going there. Um, in an ideal world, you would like to see the WNBA kind of have this partnership with the NBA in Orlando and have double headers and kind of have that cross marketing um, or joint marketing schemes throughout all of this. But I don't know if that's realistic, especially because the MLS is looking at going to Disney world. But I think like, we'll, I'm feeling somewhat more confident now than I was a month ago that we'll have a WNBA season. But I think it's interesting that we really haven't heard much about a return to play plan. Yeah, I would totally echo that. It's We haven't really heard much, but I think even in the last day or two, I felt a lot more confident that we're going to get a season. I think today they said that Premier League is coming back in Europe and with the end of June, the NWSL news came out. So it seems like there's more positive news that something is coming back. Yeah, I feel like the NWSL and the WNBA are both smaller, more nimble leagues that they can kind of have a smoother return to play plan maybe than a league that is as large as the NBA or the NHL. So the fact that they're starting to have plans come forward or come to fruition, um, I think that there's a better chance that the WNBA can kind of throw something together. Yeah, I'm actually a bit of a pessimist. Uh, I There's always yeah. one of them. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I just, I'm concerned about what's going to happen. But yeah, I want to hear more of your thoughts on why it is we know so little about the NBA, the WNBA scenarios relative to the NBA or uh, other leagues. Have you been uh, efforting, as they say, to uh, kind of reveal their uh, plan? Or, uh, gonna yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, I've been talking to some people about what the plan is, but nothing has been... Um, you know, different scenarios have been shared. Like I've talked about some of the different scenarios in some of my stories, but there's nothing enough to like actually report on right now. It just seems like we're still kind of at some grassroots level. They're still trying to figure out what's the best situation for the WNBA and how they can continue to go on. Um, but I think the reason why we're hearing more about, oh, the NBA is talking to, you know, Disney World about being at the ESPN Worldwide of Sports and stuff like that is because of just, they have so much more media coverage. They have a Shams Charania and, you know, a Woj bombs and stuff like that. So because they have those insiders already established, they're a little bit more in the know. Um, and I feel like also the NBA is in a different standpoint when it comes to media coverage and they actually like, they have a better understand of what the media's job is. Um, and I feel like when you talk to some WNBA players and like coaches and stuff, um, there's just like, maybe some media training that they haven't had compared to other leagues. But I think that'll get better the more media coverage they get. Of course. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, I think it's, do you, you know. Do you guys agree from like your experiences? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it gets reflective of what we see in terms of coverage of the W versus other leagues. It makes sense from that perspective. Aaron, what mm -hmm. about you? Yeah, no, I think it's, um, a little surprising how tight it is and just how we haven't really had anything to me it seems like there's a like i feel like the NW, nwsl got a little bit of a kind of national push and that they're 
information came out. Maybe that's just our bubble when, you know, people like us read it uh, and not, uh, you know, the whole world. But it seems like there's a little bit of a media PR opportunity just to keep people reminded, keep reminding people that, you know, we're working on these clients and we're thinking about it and we're trying to play. Um, but yeah, and then I think it's also, you know, there's probably, yeah, it's, maybe it's media training um, at some level, right? But, you know, I think when you're not used to having quite so much coverage, probably, right, it just doesn't quite feel like the norm. And so, you know, it'll be interesting, like when they have a new C, hopefully they won't need to renegotiate the CBA again until 2020, I guess, eight. Uh, you know, it'll, there'll be more information coming out ahead of time than there was now. But yeah, I'm actually pretty surprised at how little information there has been coming out. I'd really love to know more specifics. I mean, I think we all understand these plans. Um, and, uh, but yeah, like I said, I'm a little bit more of a pessimist in general. Um, you know, the one thing which hasn't really been talked about early on, especially with the WNBA draft, there was talk about, hey, like there's a void. You know, it's so great to have a live sporting event. Um, and I don't think that was the only reason that the numbers went up, but it probably helped with the ratings for the WBA draft. I think it's going to be the opposite situation once this starts, right? I think that, um, not only are, uh, you know, we're going to be, this is the WNBA going to be playing, um, you know, against baseball, but they'll also be suddenly playing at the NBA and NHL playoffs, MLS. And so I think there's a real risk that there's going to be a glut of sports in August if things come back. Yeah, and that's something that I talked to like Gabby Williams about and a few other players about how they think that this will all look and how it could, you know, help or hurt the WNBA. Um, Gabby seemed pretty, I mean, she was pretty honest and she's like, the WNBA already has like a pretty niche fan base where fans that want to watch the WNBA are going to watch the WNBA. But when it comes to expanding the league, in my personal opinion, it's going to be more difficult this season, despite all the momentum they had heading into it because the market is so saturated You're, when you have baseball, basketball, NBA, um, you know, all the different NHL, all the different leagues coming back. The NFL is going to start their training camps in August. You know, like there's just going to be a lot of stuff to pay attention to and a lot more to be reported on. I wonder if they could do something like the WNBA, if they could do something, you know, part of the scheduling was that commissioner cup. And the w- the NWSL is doing just a tournament right now just to kind of, you know, play some games and give fans something to watch. And I wonder if the WNBA could do something like that, where maybe they're not ready to start an actual full-on season, um, but maybe they could do, like, the Commissioner Cup, and that could be, like, a mini-season or something like that. Uh, I, obviously, revenue is a big problem this season after signing that pretty big CBA um, how our owner is going to be able to recover from the lack of ticket revenue. I know from a sky standpoint, that's 40% of their annual revenue. So that's kind of a concern on how the league can, you know, get by through this year. But I do think commissioner Kathy Engelberg has done a really good job getting sponsorships and, you know, establishing those partnerships, those corporate partnerships to help support the league in a time where, you know, every industry is being impacted by this. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And going back to what you were saying about maybe doing the commissions or cup or something like that to start off, I think it's a great idea. I think there's a huge opportunity for what the NWSL is doing if they're actually going to be the first league back. It's the only thing that's on. There's probably going to be a wider audience than there might have been for something like that um, in the midst of their season. So I think it's a huge opportunity for women's sports because they're smaller. It's easier to organize something of that nature in the situation and to kind of draw those fans in that might not normally tune in and grow the audience. Definitely. Yeah, that, um, you know, a couple of things you were saying, Madeline, that 40% number that you mentioned, that really surprised me that the 
I guess I was expecting it to be low because that's in line with what the NBA is getting as well. I would have thought that there'd be very little revenue outside of kind of gate, game day, sales, concessions, that kind of thing. Uh, were you surprised when you heard that number? I was, but then when you think about how the WNBA is structured, like merchandise obviously isn't going to be a big part of that sliver of that pie because there isn't a lot of merchandise available. And I know that comes down to licensing and all. there's a lot more. It's way more complicated than just not having sweatshirts and printed and available. Um, but I was kind of surprised, but I guess not really surprised if that makes any sense. Um, once he actually said it and I thought about where that figure came from and how, you know, sponsorships play a part and stuff. I feel like it is kind of on par with what I might've expected. Interesting. Yeah. And then the other sort of finances slash commissioner's cup um, idea, like, you know, again, this is all changing every day. Right. And at some level uh, my opinion, right. This is clearly an opinion, uh, you know, varies by the week or whatever, but I was almost thinking because I think there's going to be so much sports clutter that what would be really interesting is if we really, basically just had essentially an extension of the women's national team tour um, just play a series of essentially all-star games right so there's some you know real events you know really work well to take advantage of in particular the nba schedule you know you for instance you could play almost if the timing worked out which it might not you could play um during the nba finals you could play on the off nights as an example i think otherwise yeah. the schedule is going to be way too crowded or you could play for the two hours before the Eastern Conference, the equivalent of the Eastern Conference and Western Conference. So somehow tied in a little bit there. But, you know, instead of trying to get, you know, as much as I'd be excited to see, you know, whatever wing sparks or, you know, insert, you know, game, you know, right now everyone's optimistic about their chances and I think they should be. Uh, but I just think that to cut through the clutter, if there was, you know, a number of, uh, essentially all-star games that that could at least keep the momentum up. And to me, it just feels like at this point, it's not so much really about what's happening now. To me, I think all the decisions should be about how to have the league best set up for success in 2021 and 2022. No, I totally agree with you. And that's kind of the thing about this is that, and obviously a pandemic never comes at a right time, but the WNBA had so much momentum going into this season and it was, just kind of disappointing to see how much it's dropped off since where, you know, the coverage is not nearly what it would have been if they were in season, obviously that's how it is with every uh, league, but it just seems like there was just so much, you know, high expectations for this season. And now like we would be lucky just to see them have a season. And I know some players are kind of saying, well, they don't think we're going to have a season like John tell lavender. So What do you do with your perspective? I was struck by that quote in your article. Uh, I guess it was probably a couple of weeks ago. What is your perception from the players you've interacted with of how many of them want to play and how many of them are concerned, right? The, you know, with Stephanie Dolson, you know, wrote that article, I think was it late last week in the Players Tribune? It was earlier mm-hmm. this week. Um, you know, so she's come down with it. Uh, and, you know, it sounded like a quite, you know, it's an, it seems like an experience to have it, even if, um, you know, it's not life threatening for, for you. So I was wondering, do you have a sense that most of the players want to play or, you know, because, you know, maybe the, while it's important, the, for instance, say the financial incentive is not as high for, um, you know, either the NWSL or the WNBA relative to say the NBA. I mean, I think like at the end of the day, this is their livelihood. This is their job. This is what they love to do and what they want to do. So obviously they want to go back to play. It's just a matter of figuring out what's the safest way to be able to have a season 
where, you know, not only are the players and coaches and staff and essential league officials safe, but also their families and friends who they might interact with, you know, granted if they are being quarantined away from everybody. I mean, that's something you have to take into consideration too, is some of these players are going to be quarantined away from their families. And, you know, during the season, you know, players, parents come into games and their siblings come to games. They're not going to be able to have that. Um, and so I think that it's, it's complicated. Diamond to Shields had a really good quote about how she wants to go, go back. Like she can't, she knows that there's a global pandemic going on, but she still feels this void. Um, but at the same time, there needs to be more accessible testing, but that accessible testing shouldn't just be for professional athletes. It needs to be for everybody. Right. I think that's a big part of it is there's all these really advanced plans around how they can restart leagues by testing people every day or whatever it is. But if you, not everyone has access to that testing. How do you justify professional athletes being tested every day? It's a, mm-hmm. a whole can of worms there. Yeah. And I know, like, I think it was, I can't remember which baseball player it was, but he even put an emphasis on like, there needs to be ethical testing um, yeah. where we're not getting priority over the common you know, average Joe, just because we're professional athletes, um, and, which I think is like very noble of somebody to say, um, because obviously not having season is going to impact a professional athlete's paycheck. Yeah. And then, you know, the other thing that has not at all come up uh, on, on all of these plans for any sport, whether it's, you know, in Europe, soccer, or, um, you know, here in the U.S. with any of the leagues is like, what's going to be the bar at which point they decide, you know what, this isn't working, right? Like it's coming back. You know, we had one player test positive. We quarantined them, you know, now three more have it. We quarantined those like, you know, at what point are they going to really be able to pull the plug? I don't think anyone really has a sense of it. It's just kind of, it seems like uh, we'll know it when we see it kind of situation. Yeah. I, I was really impressed with the procedure that the NWSL put out where they were really specific on like what would happen if a player is asymptomatic, but test positive for it. What will happen if a player has symptoms? When can they get back to training? It's like 14 days after their last symptom, they'll be able to return. So I was really impressed with the way that the NWSL has gotten ahead and has released their procedures and their plan. And they, they seem to be really on top of it. And obviously this, the way that they have put together their tournament, it seems like it was um, done in the best interests of fans, players, coaches, everyone in the league. Yeah. But like if 10 people get, you know, following that procedure test positive, like I wonder if they're going to feel like they just need to shut the whole thing down. And if it's not 10, is it 20? Like, you know, where is that? Mm -hmm. I think it depends on the team. If it's, is it one team or is it, are several players on different teams? When were they, when did they test it positive? How quickly were they able to quarantine? I think that there's like a lot of factors and I think it's hard to say. Um, It'll just depend once, things start going and we see whether or not it spreads or it kind of gets contained. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think just, yeah, the NWSL has, I think, been really good about it, though. They've outlined that plan. They've said that even if players choose not to play and don't feel comfortable playing, that they're still going to be paid. Um, So I think in general, just a solid plan that's in the best interest of everyone, it seems, so Mm -hmm. far. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to me, the, the, like, the number one thing is just the health. And I'm just skeptical as the country seems to be opening up uh, periodically. Like, I just don't understand why the disease, I guess we're wearing more masks, but I still think the disease is going to spread pretty rapidly 
if we all go back to normal. So uh, it's really hard to imagine. So, yeah, so I will say that's why, you know, as part of my all-star plan, I think they should have, uh, I think the two youngest coaches are Walt Hopkins and uh, James Wade. So I think like they should like, you know, keep the uh, older coaches away, let them do whatever they're doing now to stay safe. Uh, you know, just have two coaches, you know, some young assistants, young trainers, everything. And, um, try to, uh, you know, just keep everybody safe, presumably there's low risk. I mean, I've also read some interesting articles about, like, we don't know what the long-term impact is going to be on, like, lung capacity and stuff, right? And so if, you know, God forbid, like, a, you know, a talented, uh, young, you know, particularly younger player, right, um, you know, sort of loses 5% of their lung capacity currently, you know, going forward, like, that could significantly impact their career. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's a lot of things we don't know, which is obviously what just makes this whole situation in sports and beyond very difficult. Yeah. Mal, have you thought about whether you would go and uh, cover the league in person in a bowl? I think it depends on the location, and I'd have to talk to my editor and if it would make sense. Um, I think they're most likely they won't have media there if fans aren't there, um, they'll, or they'll want to like limit the interaction between media and players. Uh, so as long as the player is available via phone call after the game or Zoom press conference, I think that's probably the route we'll probably go, especially if it's not in Chicago. Right. But if you're asking if I would want to go. <laughs> or have concerns go. about it, right? Like, let's just say if they're playing. I mean, yeah, I would, I would have concerns. I think it would depend on where they have the games, where they're located, what are the case counts, how has it been um, – are they improving? What what was the procedure of the stay-at-home order? How long did it go? So I think there's a lot of factors I would take into consideration. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's a fascinating question. We haven't seen too much. I haven't read much about what the media policies are going to be. I was talking mm-hmm. to someone that I know that's, uh, you know, on the men's side, he's in the whatever is the PBWA. And, um, you know, they're still kind of, I think, working with the league to try and understand what it is. Because, again, right, if you're not going to, have access then like at some level what's the point of going mm-hmm. yeah, that makes sense. um yeah so so anyhow you sound a little bit uh, optimistic that something is going to happen in some way shape or form yeah I, I i am pretty optimistic especially after seeing what other leagues are doing um like you've said, I'm a little concerned at the lack of information around some of the scenarios. I think we all know that like different hub cities and neutral sites have been talked about, but it'll be interesting to see like how they go about this and when information will become more available. Um, when commissioner Kathy Engelbert will be available for, you know, a phone conference call or something just to kind of give an update on where the league is at this time. Yeah, it'll, yeah, it'll definitely be interesting. And, you know, it seems like a lot of the interview, I also think it's fascinating for a media strategy. I feel like a couple of the interviews dropped on like a Friday evening or something, right? It seems like, again, you might maximize exposure if they sort of agree to do it on a Monday or a Tuesday mm-hmm. instead. Um, yeah, it's definitely. <laughs> but speaking of the league, what is, uh, since you covered this guy, um, you know, what was your take on, uh, or what's your take on the roster now that it's been uh, finalized such as it is? Looks a lot the same as last year, and I think we saw what this guy were capable of last season. I think if, you know, they call D'Erica Hamby out, or if she doesn't make that shot, or the Sky don't lose their halftime lead, you know, there's a lot of factors in that last game, shoulda, woulda, coulda kind of situation. 
uh, they could be could have gone on to the semifinals, and then who knows what could have happened. Um, obviously, you're living in a world where you're trying to say, like, trying to act out of what could have happened to the actual reality of what did happen. Um, I think that there was a lot of defensive breakdowns, obviously, in that last playoff game for the Sky that they need to shore up next season. And I think they will address. And I think they do have this fire. I know it's kind of cliche to say, but they do have this fire underneath them where they want to redeem themselves. Um, from a roster standpoint, I think it was really smart to add a backup point guard in Sydney Colson. I think she's going to fit in really well with the sky, with the personalities that team already had with Stephanie Dolson and Diamond to Shields. Um, she kind of seems like a natural fit. Uh, I think Ruthie was a really good addition in the draft, especially looking at who else was left on the board. I think she has the potential to be a really good player, especially in the pick and roll with Courtney Vandersloot. And I just think that, you know, you would love to have seen them keep a Sue and do, but I think at the end of the day, it just came down to money. They didn't have the money for her. I mean, the sky's cap space is like 11,000 or something like that. That's not a lot of money to, you know, offer a player of her caliber. So I think taking a chance on Stevens is smart. I think that Wade sees something in her that he thinks he can pull out of her to become a strong, powerful, you know, four. we'll see if that happens. Um, I think that the front court, is I think the backcourt is extremely strong and the front court has some question marks, but with like veterans like Cheyenne Parker and, you know, Stephanie Dolson, they can really help Ruthie and Stevens kind of grow. Definitely. One thing I saw, I think it was your article, maybe it was about Hubert, I forget which one exactly it was, but you called out that the Shields could kind of become that MVP style player, you know, really up her game, how that would impact this guy. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, I think right now the roster itself, it's a it's a good team. It's a well-rounded team and has established chemistry. It looks very similar, as I said, to last season. But at the end of the day, what's going to change is, I mean, if you think about Wade's strategy this offseason, it was to retain all the players. And that's because he, he knows Gabby's going to be another year older. Diamond's going to have another season under her belt. So they're putting a lot of expectations or I don't Wade hates the word expectations so I'm not going to use the word expectations but they're a little putting a lot of hope and maybe even a little pressure on some of these younger players to really step up and I think Diamond has a really high ceiling has a lot of potential we saw her I mean her athleticism is no joke we've all seen what she's capable of doing especially on a breakaway so I think that she has the potential to become that MV caliber seat caliber player it's just a matter of you know is she going to have an even bigger breakout season in year three than she did in year two definitely yeah she's such a fun player to watch i'm really excited to see if we get a season or whatever form of a season we get kind of how she can plays the season mm-hmm. and where her game goes to mm-hmm. yeah she's got the game to back up the personality and the personality <laughs> to back up the game so like she like the full package from like a marketing standpoint i guess you could say Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you have a sense of uh, how much work they're all able to get in? I guess we sort of saw um, uh, the Vanderquig's uh, workout facility of the NBA horse uh, situation. Mm-hmm. But uh, do you have you heard about like who's getting a chance to play? Who's got sort of access to good practice facilities, that sort of thing? I can't remember the exact number, but Ann Crosby, this guy's trainer, gave me a breakdown of who has hoops, who doesn't. And I think like Maybe half the team had access to a basketball hoop, even if it was just in their driveway. I mean, Allie and Courtney, they picked that basketball hoop at Target like a few days before, oh, yeah. like when they got back from uh, Russia. So that was kind of funny. But now they're in Washington, I want to say. 
I don't know, they like post videos on their Instagram of like their workout on like a porch and then it's just like this beautiful greenery and forest. I'm like, wow, that's a nice place to quarantine too. Um, I do not have, I know Kalia Copper has been challenging her teammates to ride their bikes, to stay up in a cardio standpoint. Um, Dolson, I think it has access to a basketball hoop. So I think like, and I know Cheyenne Parker has been working out at home. And so like, there's, you know, they're just trying to do their best they can given the situation to stay in shape and as ready as possible. But it'll be interesting to see how training camp will be different this season than past years, because usually a lot of these players are coming from overseas teams. They're already, their conditioning is already where it needs to be. It's more so about team chemistry, but this year there's going to be probably a heavier uh, emphasis on, you know, conditioning and getting everybody's body in shape. So to limit injuries and to make sure everyone's ready for the season. Definitely. Well, I think we're wrapping up on time here. So thank you so much for joining us, Madeline. Thanks for joining us always, Aaron. My pleasure. It's really good to see you again, Madeline. And I look forward to uh, next time we can uh, meet up in person. I guess it was probably at the All-Star Game in Vegas last year was the last time I saw you uh, in 3D. So mm, yeah, that sounds right. But too. yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I had a great time. Chat My about pleasure. <laughs> we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks a lot. Thank Have you. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.